Let's open our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 22. stand with me as we prepare to read God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes and open our hearts to what your word says, that it might be real to us, that we might understand that that in your sovereign plan, your love is demonstrated to us again and again and again. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'll read from Luke 22, verses 14 through 19. 14 through 19. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. When he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. This is a passage about how God orders the world around us, how he orders history, how he is the God of all history, and he does all of these things in order to demonstrate to us his love. And and this is a love that we do, do not see anywhere else in all of the world. Now, it was normal for this meal to take place on this time and this date. But at this location... It has some very, very particular significance as it is held here where they are. There is a purpose in history. It is going somewhere, it is leading to something, and that is the fulfillment of God's plan. So let's go back and look at the historic significance just for a second about this place where they are. And to understand that, you have to go back about uh, 2,000 years from this moment when Jesus and his disciples are gathered in the upper room. 2,000 years before that, God spoke to Abraham. And he said, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and that would be Isaac, and go to Mount Moriah. And I'm going to show you what you are to do, for you are to offer him as a sacrifice to me, a burnt offering. So you know the story. Let me give you just the, the highlights of it. So Abraham couple servants pack up Isaac, and off they go. And they get to the bottom of the mountain, and, and, and Isaac and Abraham go forward, and Isaac says, uh, Gee, Dad, I see the knife, and I see the wood, 
and I see the fire, but I don't see any sacrifice. And what does Abraham say to him? God himself will provide the sacrifice. But he knows that God had said, I want you to take your son and go here and offer him as a sacrifice. At the top of the mountain, he lays out the wood. He takes the knife. Isaac lays there on the top of the fire. And he takes him and he's ready to sacrifice him. And God says, says wait. I see now that you will not withhold anything from me. And he looks over in the thicket, and what does he see? There's a ram caught in the thicket. Don't touch the boy. Now, this is Genesis chapter 22, and we see this command from the Lord to Abraham. And I want you to remember this, because we think, well, uh, you know, why in the world would the Lord say to Abraham, take your son and offer him as a sacrifice? Pardon me. (laughs) I want you to remember this. There's great significance to this point. Is that it, it is pointing to the sacrifice of Christ. It is pointing to the meaning of all the things that go into the sacrifice of our of the Son of our Heavenly Father. When we look at this command, as I said, it's hard to make sense out of this. It it isn't in accord with anything else that we find in Scripture. Yet here we are face to face with the fact, in in the most striking challenge that God has ever put before man. God's purpose is never to cause his people to sin. In fact, James makes it clear when he says that the Lord never tempts us in an effort to cause us to sin. But God's purposes are always what? To test. And in testing, he refines us. And that's what uh, it says in, in Genesis 22. It came about after these things that God tested Abraham. He tested him. So Abraham is called in response to this command to weigh his trust in the promises of God against what we would say would be the common sense things of of humanity. Oh, he, he told me to sacrifice my son. Now that just doesn't make any sense. This is the God that I know about. And he is not this way, but yet he says, go and do this. But he said what? The promises to Abraham are your descendants will be like the Stars in the sky. This stands along the shore. And this is his son, his only son. And you can imagine Abraham's thinking this all the way up to Moriah. All the way up to the top. Jeez. I'm supposed to have a lot of descendants through Isaac. But but he wants me to sacrifice Isaac. So how am I going to have descendants there? Well, the Lord's going to have to do something fantastic here in the midst of all this. In the midst of all this. And you can see this is Abraham's... Test. Common sense versus the word of God. You can almost hear Jesus saying, if a, if a man loves his father and mother, brother and sister more than me, he's not worthy of me. He's not worthy of me. How could he go back from the mountain and see his wife, Sarah? Remember Sarah was, uh, she was an older mother, you know, 90. And there he's, he's got blood on his his coat. And Sarah says, where's Isaac? What's that blood on your coat? He says, well, the Lord said I had to sacrifice him. So I did. How could he look Sarah in the face after he had done that? Proverbs chapter 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
Abraham is told to do this, to kill his son and then offer him as a burnt offering. Nowhere else in scripture do we find God asking for the sacrifice of a son. In fact, God forbids it. You remember all the pagan nations around Israel, we see this later in the Old, in the Old Testament, one of their forms of worship was taking the firstborn and offering it in the fires of Molech or to Baal. They would sacrifice their firstborn in hopes of getting more, of hopes of getting a lot more. And I doubt that Abraham saw any connection between this and the coming of Christ and that substitution for our sins and the fulfillment of God's promises in the light of Calvary. But we see God's glory in what he's doing here. We understand that God intends to explain to us in this action and in ultimately in the action of Christ the principle of substitution. That there is a substitute for us. Here, Randy, you are simply full of sin. And there's no way that you can go and stand before the Lord in his presence unless there is a sacrifice for you. Unless blood has been shed for your sin. Unless there is a substitute for the penalty of your sin to bear that sin. So we see Abraham up Moriah, up the mountain. And we know, just, just imagine if you had to take one of your children. Maybe your only child up there. And this is what the Lord had called you to do. His heart must have been breaking. I mean, but understand, the love that Abraham had for Isaac. And his heart breaking as he is going up the mountain... To do what the Lord said to do is simply a shadow of, in a sense, the breaking of the Lord's heart. As his son goes to Calvary. As his son carries that cross up and knows that the weight of sin of the entire world is going to be placed upon him. God said, I'm the one who's bringing this on my son. I am the one who is causing this. My son will give up his life in obedience to my perfect plan. I'm the one that's bringing it about. I'm the one, the Lord says, who sees my son, perfect son, hanging on the cross, giving his life for you all. It's only as if the Lord says, it's my hand on the knife. It's my hand that will sacrifice my son. And that sacrifice has been given for us as a substitution. In our place, he died. In our place, Christ died. So the Lord is showing us his involvement in Calvary. And he's showing us the cost of that involvement. And the supreme faith of Abraham and the faith he calls us to have. So remember, you have Jesus and his disciples here in the upper room. You have 2,000 years before that, Abraham going up Mount Moriah. Now, if you jump ahead about 1,000 years from Abraham, you have David. And this is 2 Samuel 24, uh, right towards the end. And David, in, in violation of God's laws and rules, has taken a census. And kings only took a census to find out how many fighting men that they had. And... The Lord said, don't rely upon your fighting men, rely upon me. But David went ahead and took a census, counted all the men, and the Lord says, I'm going to give you three options as punishment. And David says, there's no better place to be than in the hand of the Lord. So Lord, we had uh, his enemies could come in, there could be a famine, or the hand of the Lord could come upon the people. And it was David's sin. It wasn't the people's sin, it was David's sin. 
So the angel comes and begins to kill, and he killed eventually 70,000 Israelites because of David's sin in taking a census. And the hand of the Lord comes and stops the angel in its punishment, in the execution of its punishment, at a place which just happens to be that place where Abraham offered Isaac. And David says, I'm going to build an altar here and sacrifice the Lord. So he goes and he finds out who owns this place. And it was a Jebusite. The Jebusites had previously been in in control of Jerusalem. And there was a threshing floor there by Ornan. Ornan had the threshing floor. And David says, I want to buy this. And Ornan goes, oh, no, great king, you take it yourself. I I couldn't charge you for this. And David says what? I will not offer a sacrifice to the Lord that cost me nothing. So he pays an exorbitant amount for it. But it just happens to be the place where Isaac was offered. It just happens to be the place where Jesus and his disciples are gathered for the Last Supper. This passage is going to tell us two particular things about the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. First, that he is the Passover lamb. If you had any questions, any doubt about that, he is the Passover lamb. He's given for our redemption. And second, he is a substitutionary sacrifice for us. He gave his life to pay for our sins, so he is in place of us. Galatians chapter 3 tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He is the one who bears our sin. He takes the curse upon himself that should have fallen upon us. He's the substitute. He's the sacrifice. It's very clear that this was his desire. It wasn't as if before the earth was formed. There's the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. And the Father goes, hey, I've got this plan, and it's going to require you to give up your life, and you're going to do it. That's, that's not the way that it worked. It was the will of the Father. It was the will of the Son. It was the will of the Holy Spirit. And the Son said, I will do it for love of those who belong to you, my Father. So in this passage, in, in Luke 22, Jesus has just finished washing their feet and remember he's washed all of their feet including Judas he says look at verse 15 I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer now earnestly desired is not um, does not capture the force of the Greek The Greek said, basically, if I did it literally, it said, with desire, I have desired. With desire, I have desired. So if we were going to translate that into into the um, maybe uh, kind of slang, he said, I really, I really, really want to eat this meal with you. I really have longed since when? For all, he doesn't say it, but we know for all time he has desired to eat this meal with you. The disciples don't fully understand what's going on here. I mean, Jesus has been trying to prepare them for months. And every time he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, they go, uh, what do you think he means by that? <laughs> they never got it. They never got it. 
He's tried to explain his death. They don't know what he's talking about. And for some, it's going to take three or even more days before they figure out, that's what he meant. That's what he meant. But Jesus understood it. Jesus always understood. He was born to die. And he was going to die shortly after this meal. And yet he looks at his disciples and says, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. Now we know that there are things that happen in our life that, that we, we go to the Lord afterwards and we say, Lord, if you had just told me this ahead of time, I'd have been prepared for it. I've been ready for it. You know, in, in, in mythology, you have the Cyclops. And the Cyclops has one eye. And the reason he has one eye is because he gave up one of his eyes in order to see the future. But in a bit of sneaky business, the only future he could see was the day of his own death. It was the only, in mythology, that was the only day he could see. But imagine Jesus, who from all time, and, and we, you know, we tend to think in beginnings and ends, but there was not a time when Jesus was not in existence. And from all that time, he knew this day was coming. He could see that day looming ahead of him in all that he did. He knew it was coming. He bore that upon his heart, upon his soul, that he would have to take the sin of all humanity upon him. But yet he still looks at his disciples. As he gets closer and closer, he says, this is what I want. More than anything else, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal, and I know that when I eat this meal, I know what comes next. And what comes next is not an accident. Jesus says, I'm I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to be under the control of the chief priests and the scribes and the Romans. He said, that is not what is going to happen. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. I lay it down. He knew he would die on the Passover day. In the middle of the afternoon, on a Friday, in the month of Nisan, the very same hour that the Passover lambs were being sacrificed, because he was the final Passover lamb. He knew every detail about his coming death, and it loomed in front of him every conscious moment. He knew perfectly what the plan was. He knew perfectly what would happen, and in his kindness and in his love for us, He went and did it. And Jesus is trying to prepare the hearts of those who are closest to him. He wants them to know that God is on the throne. That these are not the evil intents of Satan being worked out and being carried out. It's not just the betrayal of Judas that is going to lead to this. It's not that he knows that there are denials of Peter coming ahead. He knows that the apostles are going to run away. He knows the brutality of the Romans that is going to be unleashed upon his person. But he uses it all for his glory because Jesus was born to die, born to come, and so that we could come to this table, so that our sins could be forgiven. There's no other way that it could happen. He said, Father, I want to bear their sins. We just don't have an understanding of how much our Heavenly Father loves us. Just take, in your own mind, the very worst thing that has ever happened to you. Can you imagine living in dread of that moment if you knew it was coming? If you knew that was looming ahead of you? Knowing it was coming, knowing you could do nothing about it, Jesus has taken that from you. He said, I really want to sit down and have this meal with you so that you understand my love and my care for you. 
Jesus knows your heart. He knows your sin. That sin which, which you keep locked away. That sin which you knew if it came to the light of day, everybody would look at you differently. He knows that sin already. He knows what goes on in your heart. That one which, which we, we've all worked so hard to keep stashed away. He knows the corner of your hearts. And he says, yet I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. With you. Look at verse 19 here. Jesus does something here in verse 19 that no individual had done for the last 1,400 years. No one had ever done it before. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Now, now that's not the right words for a Passover meal. That was not what they were supposed to say. Now remember, they had just eaten the lamb. That taste is still in their mouth. And all of a sudden, Jesus stands up and he takes a tangent off of the things that have been said for the past 1,400 years. This was the process that you did. He completely changes it and said, this is my body given for you. Now, in the regular words, he would take in the unleavened bread and said, this is the bread of the affliction. The affliction of the people. They would understood that the bread stands for something. Suddenly he says the bread stands for something else now. It stands for my body. Which is given for you. It represents it. It points to my body. It's given for you. Jesus doesn't say broken for you. He says given for you. Remember they, there he is on the cross. And uh, it's getting dark, and we got these two thieves and this other guy in the middle. And so they take their pole, and they break the leg of the thieves, and they come over to Jesus, but he's already gone. He has yielded up his spirit to the Father. No man took his life. He laid it down. It was given to us. So two things come to mind here. What are the parts of a sacrifice of atonement in the Old Testament in the temple? Now, we, we read a section of Hebrews chapter 10. You can see them all in, in the entire chapter if you want to read that on your own. But first, there's the body. Second, there's the blood. The body and the blood. An animal was sacrificed. His body was given. His blood was shed. And the body was, in a sense, slaughtered. Laying on the altar, the blood was sprinkled on the altar. And then on the Day of Atonement, the blood was sprinkled on the people. As well, And Jesus is saying, this is my body. I'm the one real sacrifice. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament have pointed to me. This is it. And it's not going to happen again. There's no need for it to happen again. We think of Isaiah chapter 53. A great passage from that prophet. He said, surely our griefs he himself has borne. He said, this is my body. Our sorrows he carried. This is my body given for you. He was pierced for our transgressions. This is my body given for you. He was crushed for our iniquities. This is my body that's given for you. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. By his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Jesus says this is my body. It's given for you. 
He says, I am the substitute. I am the sacrifice. Tomorrow, as he says at the the meal, tomorrow you're going to see me hanging on a cross. The very symbol of Roman domination in the world. He says, that domination means nothing. I go there on my own. I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I will be your substitute for sin. It's my body for yours. My life for yours. My death for you. We hear these words, but, uh, but we really have no grasp of the depth of his love for us. It's the end of the Passover. He's eaten the lamb. He's become the lamb. Look at verse 16. I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom. Verse 18. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. In verse 18, just, just, just like we, we looked at it earlier, we don't get the full effect in the English from the Greek. If, the, if we translated the Greek literally, it would be, I will never, ever, ever, I will never, ever, ever drink of the vine again until we drink it in the kingdom. So if there's any doubt... That, that there would be another Passover. If there's any doubt that there would be a need for another sacrifice, Jesus says, never, ever, ever. Never. This has turned from the Passover into the first communion. The very first communion. He had taken some bread. He had given thanks. He had broke it. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's taken the cup. This is my blood which has been shed for you. It's the covenant in my blood. This is the end of the ceremonial law, all the dietary laws, all the Sabbath laws. In fact, there's no more Sabbath because immediately after this, they begin to meet on the first day of the week, and that's today. Monday's not the first day. Sunday's the first day. Every, I don't want to say, every cool thing happens on Sunday from now on. They worship. The Holy Spirit comes. Jesus rises. It's all today. This is the end of all the sacrifices. Everything that they knew is now over. And in fact, it's not just ended. It is completed. It is fulfilled in the work of what Christ has done here. There are no more ceremonies, no more rituals, no more priests, no more sacrifices, no more altars, no more temple, no more holy place, no more holy of holies. It's all gone. He dies. He rises. They meet on Sunday. The priesthood of all believers has now been formed. There's no more sacrifice. It's this new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31 says, It's the covenant by which God will forgive our transgressions and our sins. It's the covenant of forgiveness. This is the extent of the love of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, all we have to do is is look at your word and we see we see this story of obedience sacrifice you providing the sacrifice all the way through your word and we come to Christ and there's no need for any more he has paid the price 
And what you call us to do is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ today. And not, not tomorrow, not, not to think about it, but, but once we have heard the word, once we understand that he has paid the price for our sins, we are called to believe upon Jesus Christ, that he would be our Lord and Savior. That there's no need to, to look any other place. We can't find happiness in any other place in this world. The longing of our hearts, those things that, that oh, I just have not been able to find fulfillment in anything in this world. It's because our hearts long to be healed. And that healing only comes in Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you will believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, he has given his life for us. No one took it from him. He gave it. Such is the extent of his love for us. As you prepare our hearts to come to the table, Lord, remind us of this great love. Implant it within us. Make it real in our hearts. Make like it's never been before. That we might understand what a sacrifice truly is and what love truly is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.